I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Well, hi, and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. We will have new episodes of this posted once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, we welcome you, and we thank you so much for being here with us today. We're really excited to have a conversation with you about all of this. Great to be with you, Mike. Mary, thank you so much for doing this. How was your summer? Uh, not long enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Preach. <laughs> uh, it, it's been a very good summer. Uh, God gave us some beautiful weather, and I had the chance to be with uh, friends and family on various occasions over the summer. Awesome. Great. Did you find that you were quite busy, or did you have some downtime? I had downtime that I put into my calendar, but uh, <laughs> I was talking to uh, another person with uh, leadership responsibilities, and uh, with... Uh, Email, you're never away from the yes. office. It's so true. And I'm sure with your calendar and the amount of people that you are interacting with, there's just no downtime. <laughs> well, uh, I've thought about smashing the phone, but that seemed reckless. <laughs> I remember hearing a priest in the Archdiocese of Detroit took his phone and threw it out the window, his iPhone, because he was just sick of having to be connected 24-7. I haven't done that. No, yeah. and I, I, I could not do that. <laughs> that would not be possible. Archbishop, did you have a particular highlight of the summer? Mike, it was an event that I do every summer. I spend uh, a couple of days with the seminarians doing what I call a seminar, which is time with them. And uh, a big piece of it is uh, reading something that I choose that uh, I think they'll find interesting, and I'm happy to share it with them. And it gives me the opportunity to interact with them uh, about something that's significant. Yeah, that's great. That's nice. What did you guys read? Well, uh, we read uh, uh, a homily by Cardinal, a, a sermon by Cardinal Newman, and I mm. usually pick a, a Newman text. And then uh, we read uh, an essay by uh, then Cardinal Ratzinger on the na- nature of the priesthood. And that provided a really helpful way for us to talk about uh, priestly formation. That's so. great. So you just spend those couple of days talking about just those texts together. Right. And then there's leisure time. We have a holy hour together, mass, prayer together. So What a blessing. I find it uh, more useful for my purposes than giving them a retreat, which would mean I talk to them all the time. Sure. Yeah. But this gives us a chance to have exchange. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Now, Archbishop, Newman is getting uh, canonized this fall. Is that right? Right, in October. Are you? Do you plan on attending? No, I'd like oh. to be able to, but it's not going to work oh, for that's me. They'll have to get along without me. <laughs> <laughs> you can stream it live and watch it. So we are headed back to school. The fall has begun at Labor Day weekend is officially kind of the end of summer and the start of the school year. We were wondering, what are some of your personal favorite memories about going back to school? Were you somebody that loved going back to school? Did you dread it? What was it like for you growing up? I think one of the best things about going back to school is buying your new notebooks because there's so much promise that you're (laughs) going to fill it up. It's so true. it, uh, It just makes you think that the future is wide open. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a smell even associated right. with the new... Buying your new textbooks. Yes. When, once I got to high school, that, that was all such a great feeling. Were you educated in the Archdiocese of Detroit? I was. Uh, I went to our parish grade school in Anchorville. Okay. Uh, which I was bragging about today to someone. <laughs> uh, it was a three-room school when I started, first and second, third, fourth, and fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Wow. And then uh, I came here to... Uh, 
the seminary for high school and was here for college too. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! That this is kind of your actual home, educated all the way through, huh? Um, well, until lower education, until yeah. theology, and then uh, Cardinal Dearden sent me to Rome. Okay, look at that. That's fun. Um, so my kids go to Catholic school, and I think it's such a blessing in our lives. As we kind of start the year with Catholic schools, do you have any message for the students that are beginning their school year and their education, maybe in a particular way in a Catholic setting? I think if I were going to uh, be the old guy, it would be to uh, say to them, never lose sight of the fact that you're not just preparing for a job or even for uh, your way in life, marriage, priesthood, religious life, but you're really preparing to uh, serve God in this world to be happy with him in the next. That's the catechism, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Baltimore Catechism. Old but school. to say that that's, that's really what the education is about, is uh, learning how to use my gifts, develop my gifts so I can uh, please God. It's such a blessing, too, in the Catholic school system, right, to be able to have that message be hopefully in every part of their curriculum. Exactly, because that's really uh, what we live for, not any... I mean, there are lots of particular aims in life, but there's one end, and, and that is to glorify God. How awesome. Well, I'm glad you had a good summer, mm -hmm. and I am excited to see what the fall brings the Archdiocese of Detroit. Well, we've got wonderful uh, uh, plans in the works, and uh, I am thank God ahead of time, as Blessed Solanus would say. Amen. Archbishop, I'm sure you heard about uh, this last month, there was a Pew survey that went out talking about um, Catholics and their belief in the Eucharist. And it showed that roughly one third of U.S. Catholics uh, believe in the Eucharist, uh, but that put another almost 70 percent of Catholics, who, people who identify as Catholic, don't actually believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. Um, did you see this and were you, were you surprised by these results? I was, uh, I did see it and... Uh... Not totally surprised, a little disappointed, certainly. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, one of the things I think would be interesting to know is uh, what's the uh, correlation between what people believe and uh, the regularity of their participation in mm -hmm. Sunday Mass. That's always a, a very telling uh, factor. Yeah, that was one of the things I was surprised at is they were saying the majority of people don't believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. But then if you looked at people who went weekly to Mass that identified as Catholics that were regularly practicing, the number was 63%. So the number's higher, but it still leaves quite well, a few a Catholics. That's a big gap. That's yeah, a concern. Right? Yeah. That, that attend Mass, that one-third of them would not believe that they're receiving the body and blood of Christ. And so when you looked at that, were you able to kind of think or draw your own conclusions from what you've experienced as an archbishop as why this might be happening? Well, I think there are several factors involved. One is um, uh, just uh, we don't, I think we need to do a better job up and down the line of communicating uh, how seriously we, we take the Eucharist. Um, I know people who are really strong in their faith who sometimes slip and call the precious blood wine. We have to be careful about those things. But my own uh, thoughts about this center on the much bigger context, because I think uh, a, a difficulty in being serious about the true presence of Christ is perhaps a symptom of a bigger problem of not being serious about religion and perhaps not being serious about God and therefore not serious about sin, 
which means we're not going to be serious about uh, what's the remedy for sin. Uh, we live in a culture that uh, really discounts the idea of ourselves as dependent on God for our very being. Uh, there's a kind of derivative, uh, low-level uh, form of scientism that thinks human life is accidental. There's really uh, not a purpose in life except what we find for it. We don't really think about ourselves as God's creatures who are dependent on his very goodness for our being. And therefore, I think we have a, a bleached out idea at some deep level, perhaps, uh, that we, uh, we owe God uh, uh, an accounting for everything we are and everything we do. And if, if you have that kind of a, a general attitude... Well then, I don't. I think you're not likely to take the Eucharist seriously. I don't know if you see the connections I'm trying to draw here. Oh yeah. But and then, uh, well, that's one problem. Uh, and uh, then the other difficulty I think is uh, our technological consciousness, uh, habits of mind, make it very difficult for us to appreciate sacramentality. That a thing is much more than what it immediately presents itself to be. That's actually a really good point. Like we can't see beyond the immediate stimulation of things to understand the mystery, right? Right. And um, and especially for those of us who live in a very work, virtual world, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to, to see the wealth of reality that's communicated in a in a uh, sensible experience. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love what you said there also about kind of this dependency, you know, in the in the Catholic mindset, we should depend on the Eucharist, we should depend on Christ for, and know that we're dependent on him for the very breath in our lungs at this very moment. Archbishop, would you mind sharing with us, what does the church uh, actually teach about the Eucharist? Just to be clear and make sure that our listeners, to, I don't know where they might be on this percentage scale, of course, um, that they fully understand and know what the church does authentically teach about the Eucharist. The uh, The full uh, technical formulation of the doctrine is to say that uh, through the consecration, through the sacramental rite, the bread and wine are transubstantiated into the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of Christ. So that, that really is to define what we mean by the word real. I would say a very practical way to define the word real is to say that we worship Jesus present in the Eucharist. We're not simply worshiping him insofar as the Eucharist reminds him of him, but we worship him present there. Um, Christ is really present, but he is not present in such a way that uh, the parts of his body are present. I mean, sometimes little children misunderstand this doctrine and they oh. think that they're hurting Jesus by receiving Holy Communion. It oh. doesn't mean that. That's not the nature of this reality. Oh. But it is, it is substantially the very same uh, Jesus present at one time in the upper room, at one time at Calvary, uh, and now in the presence of God the Father. It's the very same blood that came out of Christ's wounds on the cross. 
No, Archbishop, I know you're a professor for many years too. And I know that obviously um, the idea of uh, food for the journey doesn't come out of a, a vacuum. You know, I know it comes from a long heritage in our um, Judeo background. Uh, would you mind speaking to that just a little bit about the kind of the, the background and, and the Eucharist as it's kind of uh, formulated and brought through Old Testament history and even into our, our current day? Well, the obvious example of an anticipation is the manna that God fed the people with uh, when they wandered around the desert. And so we use this uh, poetic language all the time, the bread from heaven. Uh, this is the manna that uh, our Lord uses it himself in the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel. This is the true manna, the true bread that has come down from heaven. And since God is the author of the sacred scripture, every book of it, and he's the, the principal agent of salvation history, uh, this is not just we made this up, but God got us ready for this great gift by, by the gift of the manna. The other thing that's very important to think about in terms of the preparation for the Eucharist is uh, the various uh, rites and rituals that God uh, used with the people in the Old Covenant uh, to uh, consummate this, the, uh, the covenant. In the covenant, in the covenant rituals, the marriage between God and the people is always symbolized by the blood because blood is the seat of life. And so uh, the blood poured out on the altar uh, is a sign that God and his people are married. They share one life. And so that's part of where we get to that con consummating moment when the priest holds up the host and says, happy are those who are called to the supper of the lamb. Uh, this uh, thing that happens in our churches is the real uh, presencing of what heaven will be, where the church and Jesus will be fully uh, united in their in their marriage. It's such a beautiful thing to think of the rich kind of development of this doctrine that's gone on and our understanding of how tied we are to our faith ancestors and to kind of God's divine plan. It's so neat to see. And so then it's kind of heartbreaking, right, when we know this goodness and then we see something like the Pew study um, that shows that so many people are missing what they can be accessing mm -hmm. from heaven. But, 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 but yeah. and also missing the beauty of worshiping. Mm. Uh, we live in a culture that tends to think of uh, uh, acknowledging my limit, uh, uh, my dependence, is, is unfortunate. Uh, we tend to think that way, that a, a totally independent life is the happiest life, the best life. But we are dependent on God, and that dependence doesn't make us less. It, it enriches us because it provides the opportunity, the doorway for him to come, come and be part of our lives. Right. And so worship is is a, a hot, it, it's a, a very dignified and, and very ennobling act. It's not, sub, it's not subservient or, or servile. I have a priest friend who said, you know, one, one of the problems I have sometimes is that the people come to, some of the people come to church and they think they do God a favor by coming to worship. Oh. And uh, that's, a, that's a cultural wow. barrier that we yeah. have 
in, in our cult, in our way of life. And really easy to slip into, actually. You saying that, I mean, it resonates with me sometimes. Like, I feel like I should be rewarded for making it to Mass. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, it's a, it's a totally different way to look at it, to think, like, how blessed am I to be dependent on this omnipotent creator who loved me enough? And, and wouldn't that be in a happy marriage what you would expect from the husband or the wife? Mm. How blessed am I to need uh, Therese... Uh, to make my life uh, fulfilled and how or or the, what the wife might think about her husband. Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful, beautiful way to frame it. No, the, the, the analogy of marriage, I mean, God himself established it this way, mm-hmm. that uh, marriage is the 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 primordial, the basic symbolization of how God wants to be with us. Yeah. That's beautiful. So when we look at the exciting things happening in the Archdiocese of Detroit in terms of Unleash the Gospel and the the fruits of the Synod, which was such a gift to our diocese, I think you can almost tangibly feel the spirit alive. What are some things we're doing as a diocese that you notice as pockets of hope in the face of some of this hard news? You mean like this podcast? Hey, (laughs) make sure to subscribe. (laughs) No, uh, one of the things that was an early win in the Synod was uh, the proposition that uh, we should put a lot of new, a lot of resources into new media and Mm -hmm. use all of those uh, ways that are available. And I think we've uh, taken that up very well. Just came from a meeting this morning where we uh, took a big step in considering a way to revitalize our Catholic schools. And the Synod said that schools aren't the only way to share the faith, but they're a necessary way, and we need to revitalize that means. Uh, I also talked to people who, uh, in their own small ways, home, neighborhood, work, are uh, much more energized about sharing the faith and see themselves as called to evangelize. And I have to say that gives me a, a lot of encouragement. That's a really good point. And I see that too. And then you can feel really hopeful, even in the face of some of these tough uh, statistical things that come at us, you know? So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Given these statistics, Archbishop, is there, is there any kind of concrete advice you might give to just the lay person in the pew or even ourselves? Like, what, what can we do to, to move the needle, so to speak, to, to assist towards these numbers going in our favor and helping us out? Is there something specific? You mean about uh, recognizing the yeah. real presence of yeah. Christ? Um, I think for, for the lay faithful, uh, one, they can examine their conscience to ask themselves, do I uh, show by the way I, uh, exp- uh, by my reverence in church, that I do recognize that this is Jesus uh, and uh, I welcome him with warmth and love and reverence. Um, I think by the way we talk about the Eucharist, especially the way parents and grandparents talk to their kids about the Eucharist, I think those are some very simple ways. And uh, to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament, mm. I mean, if if even just once a week uh, I made it an effort to drop into church, or sometimes we can't leave the churches open at, uh, as convenient as that might be, but you can drive by the church and park there for uh, five minutes and 
put your mind into the church and make a visit. I think uh, those would be just a few simple things that come to my mind. Yeah, that's beautiful stuff. Is there is there anything specific or concrete that your your or you'd hope your priests uh, of your own archbishop or your own archdiocese uh, kind of do or imp- implement uh, so as to help and see these numbers move in our favor as well? I think in terms of the the catechesis they give, I'd like I want to encourage them to be mindful of this challenge, and to uh, to try and address it as as well as they can. Uh, but uh, I think the priests are doing their very best to to be reverent and to share uh, the appropriate reverence with the the most blessed sacrament. I like that you said too a lot of little things that we can do can help us in this understanding, like making sure to always refer to the Eucharist as the body and blood versus the bread and the wine and receiving reverently and having our priests do that as well, lead us in that way, I think will help to kind of shift our understanding of who Jesus is, you know, and and the awesome gift of his presence. And in the end, uh, I wonder, going back to the bigger issue, our, our minds are perhaps too small, uh, it just it can be almost mind blowing to uh, understand how much God loves me and how close He wants to be that He would give me His very flesh and blood as my food and drink. Mm. It can seem too much for some people. Right? Do you recall? Um, maybe it was at your first communion, or maybe it was some point after. But do you recall a point where? Um, you kind of it clicked and you got it when it came to the Eucharist and, and what it meant, what you were receiving. I mean, I know for myself, I think about when I, my first communion, and I got it in a second grader kind of fashion. But obviously, as I aged, my understanding developed and furthered. And I, and I can recall having a click for me at a, at a youth conference that I went to as a teenager. Do you remember for yourself having a time where this understanding and your heart and mind, everything kind of clicked and synced and came together for your own uh further love and understanding of the Eucharist? Mike, I think my own development was pretty organic over time. Yeah. Uh, but two two things I would say. One, uh, we had a, a, a sister in the school in Anchorville who took care of the altar boys. And uh, what helped me was her own profound devotion to the Blessed Sacrament and she worked very hard to instill that in us uh, to understand the privilege of being an altar server. So when I think about my own cate- being catechized about the Eucharist, I think of Sister Jane Francis. And then I think I was, uh, when I began to understand the Eucharist as the ritual of renewing the covenant, the, the better I understood that, as an adult or, you know, theology student. I think that really helped transform my understanding of the Eucharist to uh, a a new level uh, so that I obviously I didn't begin to doubt the real presence, but I began to see the presence of Jesus as about self-gift, demanding a gift from me. And then I think most recently to understand the Eucharist as properly the food of martyrs, uh, that uh, that's the measure of whether you get it or not. Uh, this is the food, this is the, the strength that gives people the ability 
to give back to Jesus in the measure that he has first given himself to us. Mm. Uh, that's, that's the benchmark. It's the, it's the, it's the meal. You know, there's the breakfast of champions. <laughs> right. Well, this is the meal of martyrs. Yeah. That is a really profound thing to say, yeah. especially as we know that there are current martyrs, there are modern day martyrs, and that that's going to be a beautiful reflection for me when I go to mass and to help my children. That's good. One of the things that we're really excited about with this podcast is we are asking the faithful in this diocese to submit questions to their shepherd that you might be willing to answer, hopefully, so that we can find out a little bit more about you and maybe uh, be guided by you in a more personal way. Just be careful they don't come from my nieces or nephews. <laughs> uh, maybe we should in particular solicit them from your nieces we'll and nephews. No, just no. <laughs> so we're asking people in the archdiocese to submit their questions to Eyes on Jesus podcast at AOD.org. Each month, Archbishop Vigneron will answer a handful of your questions covering all sorts of different topics. So again, if you have any questions for our shepherd, please email us at eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org and include your first name, your home parish, and of course, your questions. Then listen next month to hear some of his responses. We do have a few questions here to get us started in this first episode. And our first question is going to come from Chris at St. Mary's of Royal Oak. Chris asks... What is one skill that you have that people would be surprised to know that you have? I'm not sure that I uh, am right up to speed on it, but when I was a camp counselor at Sancta Maria in Gaylord, I learned to be a riding instructor. So I, I heard about this. I know how to do elementary or beginning riding instruction. No way. That's amazing. So you didn't go up there this summer and and, and test out that skill. I didn't <laughs> test it. I was there this summer, but Wait. I didn't test my skill. Oh, that's awesome. That's a really neat one. Very good. Patty from St. Augustine and St. Monica asks the question, what is the most impactful non-spiritual book that you have ever read? Um, this is going to sound a little uh, professorial, Danish, but uh, there's a philosophy book by the German 20th century Edmund Husserl called uh, Cartesian Meditations, and it helped solve a really troubling intellectual problem I had uh, that came from modern philosophy about the relationship between the world and my knowledge of it. And it, it really transformed my intellectual life. And it was seen through a secular lens? It wasn't faith-based? Exactly. It's a, uh, it's a philosophical text that solved one of the uh, theoretical conundrums I had from uh, undergraduate days until really till I was... So from around the age of 21 till 31. Oh my gosh. Can you, in a simple way, explain what that conundrum was or would it be so far above my understanding? No, the conundrum <laughs> is uh, yeah. from, uh, from modern philosophy. Yeah. Uh, how do you know that you know? And maybe all you know is your own mind. Maybe you're locked in your own mind. And Husserl's point was that that's like talking about uh, a, round a round square it doesn't make any sense once you begin to think about it, because once you start thinking, you always think about something. Mm. Mm. Wasn't he the father of uh, phenomenology? He was. Yeah. Look at you, yeah. Mike Chamberlain. Hey, I read, I read some things here and <laughs> you there. You do read you know? some <laughs> things. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question from Stephanie from St. Ha... <laughs> 
<laughs> Hyacinth Parish. I'm sorry. It's from St. Hyacinth Parish. How has the laity's efforts to unleash the gospel moved you? Can you think of any specific examples where you've been excited? Um, somebody who really excites me is Steve Dawson with uh, St. Paul Evangelization. He is all in and a great leader. But uh, it's not just about people like Steve. It's about so many folks that I uh, speak with, that I meet, who say to me, you know, Archbishop, we're trying to do this. Or uh, I I was able to pray with somebody uh, just uh, because I took that initiative. So uh, those would be a couple of things I would mention. Do you ever feel like the task... Uh, that has been laid before you in this archdiocese by the Holy Spirit of unleashing the gospel sometimes seems so big. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like huge. And so how do you kind of look for those? Well, one thing I do is I hide the card keys so I don't get in the car and drive away. <laughs> no, thank you, Jesus. Uh, that's funny. No, but it, I, I go back again and again to what St. Paul said. I think it's the letter to the Ephesians. He can do immeasurably more in us than we ask or imagine. And it's not my work. It's his work. That's beautiful. Saint, uh, I'm sorry, not Saint Maria from Saint Vincent Freer. <laughs> she might be a saint. I mean, yeah, you know, she might. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Um, she asked the question. It seems like priests are moving more often lately. Can you explain why and how priests get their assignments? I don't know that they are moving more often uh, lately, uh, but uh, generally uh, the point is to respond to two questions: Is it important for the parish to have a new leader? Is it important for Father to have a new challenge? And it's how I try, or the, and those who advise me on this, how we answer those questions and how they come together, uh, that a, a, cho- a decision is made about moving a priest. Um, uh, uh, it would only be the rarest occasion that I would uh, call upon a priest with obedience to take up an assignment. I will say to a priest, I do say to priests, Father, I need you to do this. And I know this might not be your druthers, and I know it's going to be hard. But if you can do it, I would like you to. And most of the time, the priests will agree to do that. They say, Archbishop, if that's what you need, I will do my best. That's great. That's That's funny because it's good to hear that because I think that's one of the things that's kind of heartbreaking sometimes for the laity when they have like a beloved priest and they see him move. I've seen communities really kind of struggle with that. And, but it's, he might be needed elsewhere and your community might need somebody different, you know, and kind of understanding it's not done with um, any sense of vindictiveness. Or, <laughs> and there's, there's an understanding that there's wounds there. It's hard for people to let these leaders go who they love, you right. know, but it's a dying and, yeah, right. uh, I have to say the question always to me is, do I believe that uh, by the grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying, uh, there'll be fruit? Mm -hmm. And I do my very best to discern God's will. And if I ask for a change or call for a change, it's because I think this is God's will. That's really helpful. So Rob from St. Ephraim Parish in Sterling Heights has this question for you. Was there ever a teaching in the Catholic faith that was hard for you to accept and understand? And if so, 
What was your process in coming to an understanding and accepting it? The hardest uh, uh, difficulty I had would have been when I was about 20, and it was whether or not Jesus is God. Uh, I never really had much of a difficulty in uh, assenting to the existence of the supreme being who Mm -hmm. made everything, but it had to do with uh, the uh, presencing of God, this all-powerful being through this man, Jesus, and what sense did that make and how could that be? And uh, it really played out then in thinking in terms of the sacraments in the church as instruments for this continued action of God in the world. And what got me through my questions were the sermons of Cardinal Newman, in which he presents an understanding of Jesus in the church that makes sense. It wasn't that he gave me proofs as such, but he talked about the reality of Christ in his work that made me see that this is exactly what we need, that this, it's not so outlandish. In fact, it fits the very logic of God's creation that he would uh, come and be part of the, uh, our world. So right. that's my witness. And you okay. said that you struggled with that it, during your time at seminary? Right? Oh, yes. See, that's, I think that's helpful for people to understand because I think... Um, even for me, sometimes I can fall into a pattern of, you know, I'm supposed to have this all down by now. Like I've been a Catholic for almost 40 years, like, you know, but I think we struggle with different aspects, but the importance is staying the course, right? Like you didn't leave the church, I'm assuming, during that time of questioning and wondering, right? And staying faithful to the church while questioning something as big as Jesus's place in our church. So that's a good witness from our, from our shepherd. So thank you for sharing that. I think it actually ties really well also to our topic today too, because, you know, I, I think it's funny that some people will be like, oh yeah, Jesus was God, but that they don't believe in the Eucharist. And it's kind of like, well, if God can humble himself to become a man, he can humble himself under the species of bread and wine as well, you know? So I don't know. I see that kind of come in full circle. Do you think oh, so too? exactly. Uh, it, it's about the uh, humility of God and his will to be so close to us that he would uh, take up all of these uh, media for sharing himself with us. It's beautiful. Well, Archbishop Ingeron, I need to thank you so much for spending this time with us. I'm so excited to be able to uh, be here with you and then to know that people in the Archdiocese are going to be able to hear from them, their shepherd in this really kind of unique venue. And thank you not just, obviously for today, this is excellent, but thank you for just your your pastoring, your shepherding over the past decade that you've been here in Detroit. Um, I know you've tried to shepherd through a very uneasy time in the church and you're trying to bring us back to our base and remind us of why we exist, which is for the sake of sharing that gospel message. So thank you for all that you've done and for yourself staying the course, even in the midst of difficulty and not taking the car keys and driving off. (laughs) Yeah, we appreciate that. (laughs) Well, you're very welcome. And uh, I would ask anybody who listens to this uh, to pray for me, especially to the Blessed Mother. And uh, I will make it my particular prayer uh, to ask God to bless uh, everybody who who might hear our podcast. Awesome. Archbishop, would you mind please uh, closing with a, uh, a blessing for us? Lord God, we ask you to pour out afresh upon us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, so that with 
his mind and his heart, we may love you and those whom you bring into our lives. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your blessing, Archbishop. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like the Open Door Policy Podcast with Father Steve Pullis and Danielle Center, a podcast for joyful missionary disciples and our movement to unleash the gospel. Find it on your favorite podcast app.